welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. I want you to find the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. We've been in a series through the book of Nehemiah. This will be our 15th message through Nehemiah, and we've gone chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we've entitled this series Against All Odds. The children of God had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They've come out of Babylonian captivity. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. They've hung the gates, and there's just been great celebration that has been going on because of this accomplishment that God accomplished through his servant, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the man that felt a special burden to go back to Jerusalem and take on the project of building those walls. And in 52 days, God did an incredible miracle there in the midst of his people. After they celebrated for a little while, they go to Ezra, the spiritual leader of the day, and they say, Ezra, you'll remember this from chapter eight, bring the book. And Ezra begins to read the word of God to them, and they find themselves in a place of conviction because that's what the word of God will do to us. When we study, when we read the word of God, it will often bring us to a place of conviction. And then when they found themselves in a place of conviction, they then found themselves in a place of confession. And they were confessing their sins before God. And then as we saw last week in chapter nine, they found a place of repentance. And then they began to worship the Lord. They spent six hours a day, six hours a day, reading the scriptures, and worshiping the Lord. You say, well, pastor, life is so crazy. I don't have six hours to do that. Well, what if we pulled out our phones this morning and considered our screen time over the last seven days? If we looked at our screen time And then consider, do we really have time to spend in the word and in worship and in prayer? I think we would probably all come to the conclusion, we got a little more time to spend with the Lord than what we would otherwise suggest. Amen? So they confess their sins. They worship the Lord Jesus. And this morning, as we pick up in verse four, here's what's going to happen. They're going to begin to rehearse and remember a lot of the things that God has done for them. And they're going to go all the way back to the story of creation as they remember and recognize the goodness and the greatness of their God. And I want to entitle our message today, Let's Just Praise the Lord. Because you and I, I want us to do the same thing that the children of Israel, the Jewish people are doing here. They begin to rehearse in their minds all the good things God has done for them. And I want you this morning, as we walk through this message, to begin to rehearse in your own minds the goodness and the greatness of God in your own lives and in the lives of our precious fellowship. So let's just praise the Lord. Let's stand together and begin reading 
in Nehemiah chapter nine and verse four. Now I want to tell you what I did in the first service. I tried to read these names. I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. I had somebody come up to me and said, I don't have any problem reading those names. And I thought, well, maybe you ought to come up here and let's give you a microphone, let you read them. Because some people don't have a problem with it, but I grew up on the Dunning Mill Hill. <laughs> then stood upon the stairs of the Levites, these men. And here's what they did. They cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. We ought to just stop right there and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. They said, he is, he is glorious and he is exalted above all blessing and praise. And then they continue, thou, even thou art Lord alone. You made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all the things therein and the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all and the host of heaven worship thee. Thou art the Lord of the God who did choose Abram and brought him out of the of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham and found his heart faithful before thee and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Gargashites to give it, I say, unto his seed and has performed thy words. He always performs his words for thou art righteous and did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt heard their cry by the Red Sea, showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and upon his servants and upon all the people of the land, for thou knew that they dealt proudly against them, so did thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou did divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their pers persecutors thou threw into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters." Moreover, thou led them in the day by the cloudy pillar, night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou came down also upon Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Made known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commandest them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. And gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in and possess the land which thou had sworn to give them. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this passage this morning, help us, Lord, to remember. Help us, Lord, to recognize your goodness and your greatness. And then, Lord, allow that to flow into praising the one who is worthy of all worship. And it's in your name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you probably recognize the familiar hymn that says, let's just praise the Lord. It was written by the Gaithers. At a concert one evening, Gloria Gaither 
She felt as if the crowd was giving praise to the Gaithers themselves, and she did not desire that the praise be heaped upon them, but she desired that the praise go to the one who is worthy of all praise. And she sat down in 1972 and wrote this song that said, let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts toward heaven and praise the Lord. After much confession, much worship, much prayer, the people of God began to praise the Lord. And we want to do the same thing here today. And as we walk through this text, I think they're just rehearsing in their minds all of the good things that God has done. And as I said, they go all the way back to creation. So there's two things I want us to consider this morning as we think about let's just praise the Lord. Number one, I want us to look at their worship. Look at their worship. Nehemiah gives us a glimpse into what happens when praise begins in the hearts and lives of the people of God. As the Levites stood and began to rehearse the history of the one true God, they were people that simply did not want to go through the motions of worship. They were not checking off their spiritual duty for the day. They enjoyed, listen, they had been in Bible reading and worship and confession for some six hours every day. They weren't looking to get out, right? They were looking to get in. So let's look at their worship. And there's two things about their worship I want you to notice. First of all, their passion. In verse four, the Bible says, after they list these names of those Levites, it says, they cried with a loud voice. They've stood, these Levites had, and they've begun to lead worship and there was some volume to their worship. I would suggest to you that maybe yesterday you sat and watched some football. Football came back on today. There'll be some tonight. There'll be some Monday. I think we've had five straight days of college football. Many of you love this time of year and we love watching it, but the truth is, Many of you probably shouted louder at your TVs yesterday. We'll shout louder at our TVs tonight. We'll shout louder at our TVs on Monday night than we do in the house of God when we see the baptismal water stirred, when we see people reconciled unto the one true God, when we see people come forward and repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, these folks had some passion in their worship. There was some volume to their worship. And every now and then, a holy grunt ought to come out at least when we sing about the evidence of his goodness, when we sing about, Lord, you said it, I believe it. There ought to be just something, right? Let me ask you a question. If your kid, let's just, let's just say your son is playing receiver for XYZ University and there's nine seconds to go in the game and you're driving and your boy has caught three passes already on this drive. Seven seconds to go, we're down by five. Your boy catches the game-winning national championship football. He catches the pass to win the national championship. Let me ask you, what are you going to do? <laughs> I stood back there in the back during some of the songs, and I don't know who it was, but I could see two hands raised up up here, and I thought, go ahead, brother. I see the evidence of your goodness. 
it ought to come out every now and then, right? And I know everybody don't worship loudly, but you'll get loud at the things you worship. Everybody don't worship loudly. Let me, let me say it this way. Everybody doesn't worship the Lord loudly. But what you worship, you will loudly. These folks have some passion. Not only do I see their passion, I, I, I was picked on the guys. Can I pick on the girls real fast? I had the, This is just in my notes, so I have to say it. If your girl spikes the ball, the volleyball, for the national championship, she's the one that jumps and just slams it down for the national championship. How are you going to respond? Did you see that? That was really nice. I just enjoyed that so much. There was some passion, but then notice their posture. Verse five says this, that these Levites said, stand up. And bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing. You've heard the song, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high the royal, his, his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. Here's where these folks are. They're in the middle of a city that is barely habitable. They've barely gotten started. They are impoverished beyond what we could probably imagine at this point. It seems that in the, on the world stage, this little group of people would be insignificant. And yet in the midst of all of that, they stand up and say, blessed be the glorious name of God that is exalted above all blessing and praise. So regardless of what they were walking through, they just decided that they were going to be passionate about their worship. Their, their posture was going to be a positive posture and they were just going to give praise to the one true God. Look at their worship. But then secondly, let's learn from their words. Beginning in verse six, this is where they begin to remember and they begin to recognize the greatness of their God. And they go all the way back to creation. So what are we going to learn from their words? Number one, we learn about his power. We learn about his power. In verse six, thou art even, thou, thou art Lord alone and hast made heaven the heavens, heavens, with all their host, the earth, all the things therein, the seas, all the things therein, and thou preservest them. Let me give you a quick lesson in history. It's factual. You may ask the question, how did the earth get here? God spoke and it happened. Genesis is not a, an allegory. It is an absolute truth that God Almighty spoke this world into existence. We did not evolve from other things. We simply were spoken into existence by the one true God. His power in creation. He created it all. The God that has no beginning because he's always been. He took nothing, spoke into it, made it something, sat it on nothing, and then told it to stay there. 
R.C. Sproul said it this way, what are the chances that the world was created by chance? Not a chance. Psalm 24 verses one and two says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. It all belongs to him. These territorial claims that he makes go far beyond the earth. It includes the galaxies and the stars and the vastness. It all, the, the earth, the, the oceans and all in them all belong to the Lord. And it's not hard to look at creation and know that there is a God. I have a friend of mine that just went to Nova Scotia and he said, Pastor, the, the, the beauty of God's creation is overwhelming at times. I think we could all say that, that we've been to places in this earth or you just watch the sunrise and you go, the beauty of God's creation is absolutely incredible. So they began to rehearse and remember the God of creation and that he created the earth. But, but not only that, in the last part of verse six, let me just hit this real quickly. It says in the last part of verse six, and thou preservest them all. He's preserving the earth. The oceans, he's got it. I promise you, God Almighty, who spoke this earth into existence, is not in heaven wringing his hands, wondering if global warming is going to be the end of humankind. He's not worried about the ice caps melting. I promise you that. Because if he decides they need to be cold, guess what? They'll be cold. If he decides they need to melt, then he just decides they need to melt. I just trust him to handle it, amen? I trust him a whole lot more than I do a lot of people. <laughs> so we learn from his power. Or we learn about his power and we learn about his promises. Let me cover this real quickly. In verses seven and eight, we're reminded that God's a God that keeps his promises. And they rehearsed the covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham had a heart that was faithful before God. You find that in the 12th chapter of Genesis. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And he makes this covenant about some land that they would possess and it would be theirs. And at this time of Nehemiah, they did not possess all the land that they had been promised. Today, they do not yet possess all the land that they have been promised. But hear me and hear me well, there's coming a day when they are going to possess everything that God has promised to them. And the Jewish people will have what was rightfully declared theirs all the way back in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the church and the children of Israel and the Jewish people are two different things. For the church, we've been promised a land as well. It's a land over beyond the sky, amen? For those that have been saved by God's grace, just like he's gonna come through on the promise to the children of Israel, he's gonna come through to the, on the promise for his own children that have been washed in the blood of Jesus, that we're headed to a place because he always comes through on his promises. We can learn about his power from watching their worship. We can learn about his promises. We can learn about his provision. Now, when we think about his provision in verses nine through 12, I have to admit to you that the story of the Exodus is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. You remember the guy by the name of Joseph that 
was sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up down in Egypt, and he ended up second in command. And in his homeland, there was terrible famine. And his brothers had to come down to Egypt to get food. And guess who was in charge of food distribution? Joseph was. And the people of God flooded Egypt because there was food there. And then Joseph died and a new Pharaoh came to power. And when that happened, the children of Israel were numerous. And the new Pharaoh said this, if we don't do something about these people, they're going to team up with one of our enemies and they will overthrow us. So we're going to put them into slavery. And they took the people of God and they enslaved them in the brick pits there in Egypt. And they begin to rehearse how God provided for them through those difficult days. By the way, that's another promise that God came through on because God told Abraham that his seed would be in a strange land for 400 years, but then they would come out and they do. But notice with me a few things about verses nine through 12 and the provision of our God. Number one, their plea. Man, they're in Egypt, they're in a mess. They're in the brick pits of slavery, but God had a man and God had a plan. And the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I love this. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. He says, listen, I've heard the plea of the people and they're rehearsing that God heard us when our forefathers called out to him. He heard their plea and he sent them a man and he said, I'm going to bring you out. Well, how would he do that? We not only see the plea, we see the plagues. You remember the contest with Pharaoh where Moses goes to Pharaoh and all of these plagues begin to happen. And it speaks of that in verses 10, these signs and wonders upon Pharaoh. You had the river, it turned to blood. The frogs, the lice, the flies, the pestilence, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness. And then finally, the death of the firstborn. And you'll remember, and I don't have time to preach this, but the households where the blood had been applied, there was no death. And after that Passover, if you will, Pharaoh comes to Moses and he says, y'all get out of here. Y'all get out of here. And they made their way out of Egypt. And they found themselves hemmed in in the land. So when they left Egypt, some two million of them, some Bible scholars would say, they find themselves in front of the Red Sea. There's a mountain range to the left, a mountain range to the right. And Pharaoh's army has decided to come after them because the enemy is a liar. 
And Pharaoh said, I'll let you go, but then he came after him. Notice the parting. You know what happens when they get to the Red Sea. I mean, anybody that's been in any Sunday school for any period of time, you know what happens when they get to the Red Sea. But will you lean in with me for just a moment? And let me say something to you maybe that's going through a very tough time right now. You're waiting on your Red Sea moment. And you find yourself in a mess. You you find yourself hemmed in. And you can't go forward. It doesn't seem you can go to the side. You can't go back. It seems like there is trouble everywhere you turn. And the question you ask is, how did they get there? How did they get in the mess that they now find themselves in? Well, let's just read it. Verse 12. Moreover, thou led them in the day by the cloudy pillar and in the night by the pillar of fire. Who led them right to that mess they were in? The same God that got them out of Egypt. So when you find yourself in the mess, know that there's one who has either authored it or he has allowed it for some reason. And that reason is your good and his glory. So they find themselves hemmed in, but then you know the story. Moses lifts up that staff. And the wind begins to blow and there's the parting of the Red Sea and they walk over on dry ground and then God, God takes the army of the Egyptians and drowns them in that water. Yes, we see the plea, the plagues and the parting. And it's as if the people have, have begun to remember these things and they say, blessed be the name of the one true God. We learn about his power when we watch their worship. We learn about his promises. We learn about his provision. We learn about his precepts. In verses 13 and 14, I'll give you this real quickly. They began to praise the Lord for the law that he gave them. For the commandments. For the statutes that he had given them. They were thankful for all that he had given them. You and I should be thankful for the commandments as well. You say, well, that's Old Testament. No, well... I I tell you that those, the commandments, the law reveals to us our lost condition. It's a schoolmaster. It's a mirror upon which we look in and discover that there is nothing good in us whatsoever, that we can never keep the law. And it reveals our need for a savior. And they are thanking the Lord for the laws and the statutes. And so we learn about his power, his promises, his provision, his precepts. And then finally, We learn about his presence. We learn about his presence. Keep your Bibles open. Verse 15. They began to remember. They began to recognize who these things came from. And they say, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. And you brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst. God gave them manna on a daily basis during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. The bread of life he was giving to them. And then they praised him for the water that came out of a rock that quenched their thirst. You say, well, pastor, I don't see a whole lot there 
that talks about the Lord's presence, I really see more of his provision. That he's provided for them manna and their hunger. He's provided for them water. So I see his provision, but I don't see his presence in verse 15. Got your Bibles open? It says he brought them water out of the rock. Flip your Bible over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think we got it up on the screen. Watch this. It, this is good now. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Did you notice anything about that word rock up there? You see that capital R? They drank of that spiritual, they're wandering around for 40 years and they're getting water out of a rock. It's a spiritual rock that did what? It followed them. Everywhere Moses looked, there's a rock. There's a rock. There's a rock. They walked, they walked a little farther. There's a rock. They wandered for five more years. There's the rock. They wandered for 10 more years. There's the rock. And that rock was what? His presence. He fills a hungry heart and he satisfies a thirsty soul. And so here's what they did. They said, Lord, we remember the good things you've done. Now they're going to continue and they're going to talk about the fact where they messed up. But for here, they remember and they recognize the goodness and the greatness of their God. And I challenge all of us here today to find ourselves in a place where we recognize the goodness and the greatness of our God and how good he really is. And it calls us to just praise the Lord. I can think about my own life and I began to evaluate my own life and I begin to remember some things that God has done in my life over these 51 years that he's had me on this earth. And I think back to the fact that I was lost and undone without Christ, that I was steeped in religiosity and I thought that being a good guy would somehow get me to heaven and I knew all the right things to say. I knew all the right things to do to convince all the brethren that I was one of them and that I was in. But one night sitting at a revival on March the 29th in 1998 at 3 and 20 Baptist Church, I'm here to tell you, God reached farther down than I could reach up, saved my soul, set my foot on a 
a solid rock, established my goings, and he changed my eternity from hell to heaven. And then what did he do? He gave me a precious little wife, amen, that has loved me, been there by my side through all the thick and thins of life, gave me three precious little children that, that God has just blessed in a, in a mighty way. He has, he has allowed me to come here to this church and be the pastor of the greatest people in the entire world. He's just poured out blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And when I begin to remember the goodness and the greatness of our God, there's something inside of me that wants to, with some passion, stand up and say, bless his holy name. And then I begin to think about what he's done inside of this fellowship. I begin to think about the hard days that we walk through. I begin to think about the dry days that we walk through. And then I begin to see him put his hand on this place. I see the baptismal water stirred. I see marriages reconciled. I see people repenting of their sin, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember his goodness. And I just want to stop for a moment and say, let's just praise the Lord. Amen. For he is worthy of our praise. If you're here today, you got something to praise him about. If you're here today and you're unsaved, here's what I want you to know. Jesus died for you because he loves you. And he went to Calvary's cross that you might be given new life. And today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we'll have some pastors standing here. Pastor Colin will be here. I'll be here. Pastor Phil will be here. If you don't know where your heavenly, or you don't know where your eternal home is, we would love an opportunity to speak with you about that. So you might leave today knowing heaven's your home. But child of God, won't you just sit there for right now and begin to let your mind scroll. And remember, recognize the goodness and the greatness of our God. Because truly, we should all be able to say, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. Maybe this morning you just wanna find a spot on an altar and say, Lord, I didn't come asking for anything. I just come to say, praise your holy name. Lord, I remember where you brought me from. I recognize my lost condition. Lord, I remember where we were as a fellowship. Lord, I just want to say, praise the Lord. As we stand to our feet, we'll have a song of invitation. If you want to find a spot, an altar, and just praise him, you can praise him right there where you are. You can come here. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.